Good morning. My name is Denise Couch. I love being here with you as much today as all the other times. And so today, I promise to talk about being ordinary. And then I thought that's too short for a title, so I added ordinary being. And I'm not sure what I was thinking in that moment, so let's see if we can figure that out. Um, what I was, um, I've been thinking a lot this winter, or the last couple of years, or I don't know, maybe a whole lot of my life, about the, the, the cultural pressures to not be ordinary. The ways that we use the word ordinary as a dismissal. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the way it felt when I, be, um, when I became a parent, and as a young parent, being aware that, oh, this is amazing. And I used the word extraordinary because it was that important to me. And um, somebody that I was talking to at some point about this really didn't like that at all. I, I may have been kind of tone deaf in the conversation because this was not apparent. Um, it was somebody who probably would never be a, a, a woman who would probably never mother a child. And so maybe she didn't need that conversation with me at that moment. Um, but, but I get her point. And I remember thinking, this feels extraordinary. And at the same time, a lot of people have kids. It's not extraordinary. It's actually a really ordinary thing. And I didn't have to study up or get a degree or become an expert on anything to do that, although sometimes I wish I had. Um, and I read books, and I did all that. But it, it is just this experience that happened to me. It was part of living and being an animal on this earth. I had offspring. And um, it's been amazing that whole time. Um, and it's interesting to me that some part of my brain then, I don't think this way so much anymore, but um, at that point wanted to label that extraordinary. Because ordinary is somehow not enough. And that, I think, is really sad. And it's one of the ways we set ourselves up um, to be part of white supremacy culture would be one way of talking about it. This push to always be better, to seek perfection, to feel like there's a, a right way to do things or a best right way to do things. Um, so what is it about the ordinary? And am I getting feedback? Is, oh, just something else in the building? OK, I'll ignore it then. Um, so I went, of course, to the dictionary, because some of us just do that, and looked up ordinary. Um, actually, I went to, to be honest, I went to Google, <laughs> who went to the dictionary and fetched it back for me. So it, as an adjective, or, ordinary means with no special or distinctive features. Normal, common. As a noun, it, or, the ordinary is what is commonplace or standard. Um, Merriam-Webster had a different but similar first definition was a, of a kind to be expected in the normal order of events. 
The number two was in two parts, and this, this got interesting here. 2A was of common quality, rank, or ability. So here you start getting. Quality to me implies some judgment, and ranking definitely implies some judgment. Um, common ability, in other words, nothing special. Okay, but 2B actually says deficient in quality. You, so you sort of, you kind of catch the progression there in meanings. You kind of go from, you know, ordinary is what is expected to ordinary is common, common quality, i.e. not the highest quality, to flat out ordinary is deficiency. And I think we often work with this idea of ordinariness as deficiency. That same, all I Googled, was ordinary definition, right? I got links to various kind of interesting websites like success.com, seven ways to go from ordinary to extraordinary. <laughs> um, and it's quite, a, it's quite a list. Number one, understand yourself, especially your motivations. Two, get paid for what you love to do. Three, invest in lifelong learning. Four, have high expectations. Five, be financially independent. Six, deal equally well with success and failure. And seven, work harder. <laughs> and I got to, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> I'm exhausted by that list. <laughs> there was also um, a website whose domain name appears to be differencebetween.com. Extraordinary people are 100% committed to their dreams and willing to do whatever it takes to realize their dreams. Ordinary people, on the other hand, just talk about their dreams and never take action to accomplish it. So it's very binary there. There's extraordinary or there's ordinary and they're so different, right? And, and I'm hearing in all of this, I mean, some of these are good things. Financial independence, okay, that's a good thing. And most of us, it's not a thing we can do. Um, or we can if we don't do lots of other things. Some of us just kind of, you know, we're born into a life where we can do that. Um, but it's not always just a matter of deciding to do it and following steps and getting there. Um, of course, you can define financial independence in different ways if you want. Um, dealing equally well with success and failure. Well, that sounds like a really good sort of zen kind of thing. Um, and I don't know anybody who could just off the bat decide to do that. That's a lot of discipline and practice and growing up and figuring out that success isn't always all that great and failure doesn't usually mean death. Um, and it, it just it takes a long time to get there. Work harder. I mean, sometimes working hard is a good thing, and working harder is, is good, too. Lifelong learning, big fan, big fan. Um, getting paid for what you love to do. Well, I love that. I get paid to do what I love to do uh, as a minister. Um, and I get paid to do some things I don't really want to do. <laughs> You know, and that's the case for a lot of us. Um, so some of these things are really good, but piling them all up like this 
do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. And, you know, extraordinary is what you should want. And it's 100% committed. And that, to me, implies 100% of the time. 100% committed. Um, willing to do whatever it takes to, to find your dreams, right? Or you could just be ordinary. 100% in. Or just you never take action to accomplish your dreams. And the truth is, most of us live somewhere in between. And part of me wants to go, well, what's wrong with just ordinary? Just ordinary. And especially maybe now, after two years of pandemic and figuring out, and every time you step into a room with a group of people, refiguring what, what's the masking thing here right now? Well, I think we're all doing that right at the moment. Um, it's interesting to me to sort of watch what I feel comfortable with as I'm out and about in the world. Um, but we're, we're redeciding things over and over again. And our brains are just worn out. <laughs> we're done. We've been fried for a while. So part of me thinks, you know, just ordinary, just doing the ordinary stuff is pretty darn good, especially if we manage to do it and stay connected to each other while we do it. We're doing okay if we just get from day to day, week to week, month to month, And I'm reminded of some other things, some of which I know I've talked with you about. For instance, the quotation from Pima Chodron, the Buddhist teacher, I think I have shared this with you before. One of the deepest habitual patterns that we have is the feeling that the present moment is not enough. And I think that fear of being merely ordinary comes out of that that feeling that where I am right now, who I am right now, the network of people around me right now, the place in the world that I inhabit right now is not quite enough. I should have dreams, I should have a plan, I should be going somewhere else, getting to be somebody else than I am. And of course one of the great insights of Buddhism is that all of those plans and that striving is what locks us into suffering and disattaching, unattaching ourselves from all of that is what liberates us. Of course, you can turn that whole Buddhist project into its own kind of striving. <laughs> We're really good at that. We could do that with just about anything. Um, one of the other things my Google search turned up my Google search for, you know, ordinary definition, was a YouTube video by somebody named Mike Cooley, K-E-W-L-E-Y, and it's entitled, How to Be Ordinary, A Short Guide to Happiness. So I watched it, of course. It's like 17 minutes or something like that. Um, basically, he offered a meditation, a mindfulness meditation. He suggested that being ordinary is something we should embrace, that, that happiness lies in experiencing the ordinariness of sitting quietly in a chair with your feet on the ground so you know you're rooted in the world um, and feeling your body, paying attention to your breath, 
feeling what that breath feels like in your nostrils as you breathe in and breathe out. Maybe noticing what your hands feel like, what your feet feel like, what's going on in your hips and your shoulders. And just being, being where you are right now in your body. And he, he you know, leads a nice little time of meditation there. And then he says, well, so what you have noticed is the feeling of being alive as a human being. And guess what? This shared experience of human aliveness means we're already soaked in connection. We are already connected to each other. And to my way of thinking, by extension, we are connected to the rest of existence because we, we live on this planet, in this cosmos, with these bodies, we're carbon-based life form like many others. So we are with each other and we are connected precisely, not in the extraordinary things we do, but in the very ordinary things. The passage of air through our nostrils, the having of bodies, the feeling of our muscles, our emotions, those are the things. The things we don't have to think about Although, as we've seen, it's interesting when we do think about them. Um, but the things that just are. Just the, the being human together is perhaps the ground of happiness more than the striving uh, for something else or to go somewhere, to dream and then run after that dream. And I don't want to knock dreams either because they're really important, and I have some, and I have some I've, I've held for years, and they still, they shape my life. Um, so I don't think any of this is about not trying or trying. It's about releasing our sort of, our, some sort of desperate death grip we have on our projects. This, this sense that we're not okay already. And instead recognizing that what we already are where we already live is precious and ordinary and mysterious enough in its own right that, that we are enough, that the present moment is enough. And I think um, to sort of bring this back around to Unitarian Universalist values, I, I look especially to our first and seventh principles. And you know, I'm, I'm big on the seventh principle, the interconnection of everything. It's all connected, we're all connected. Um, but also the first, the worth and dignity of every human being. And when, that word inherent, it's such an odd kind of word. I mean, it's not a word we go around using all the time, right? So I think sometimes we forget what it means. To me, it, it carries some sort, I don't know, it feels like a special word which then sort of maybe takes away from the ordinariness of that worth and dignity. Inherent just means it's there. It inheres to me, to you, to the next person, to all of us, to each of us. Um, so it's actually really ordinary. Um, we you use like to not use ordinary words. <laughs> a lot of the time. So we get all fancy and we use words like inherent worth and dignity. 
Um, but what, what that principle is really saying is that is the ordinary state of human individuals, is to be worthy and to have dignity, to be respected by each other for having that worth, to be treated with dignity. Um, and then there is in, um, in the Christian theological tradition, this idea of grace, which sometimes in some places in the theological world of Christian thought becomes kind of like a money. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, if you do the right things, you get grace from God. Um, and I don't like that at all, and I suspect you don't either, or you wouldn't be the kind of people who'd be showing up to a UU community on Sunday morning. Grace instead is, and I think even in the Christian tradition I was brought up in, uh, grace can be, I think, more helpfully understood as our basic condition. Grace is the fact that we're breathing. Grace is the air that is here to move through my nostrils, into my lungs, to feed my body what it needs to go, to do, to be. Um, grace is the skin that holds me in. Grace is the connections of networks of people, family, friends, coworkers, um, acquaintances, strangers who help me buy my groceries, strangers who deliver the things I need to my house. All of that is grace. Grace is just a way of saying, I believe our basic way of being is that we are gifted, that we have support, that we have worth. Um, so, again, our culture has lots of different ways of telling us that the way you need to be in the world is to be striving to be something else. I, I have a, a child who is now a senior in high school, so we are in the middle of the transition from high school into, for this child, for college. But that college admissions game is just brutal. <laughs> it's just um, that the, the anxiety and the fear and the knowing that you are being judged alongside hundreds of other applicants for a limited number of spots in a class and trying to figure out what's going to happen and what possibilities there's going to be and oh my goodness I'm realizing three years too late that I didn't do the right extracurriculars and <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really lucky because my child has been kind of low-key, not too stressed out about it, at least not that she's sharing with us. Um, and thing, she's, you know, she can imagine being happy in a number of different places and didn't get attached to any particular news coming her way this month. Uh, but it's triggered stuff in me. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness, maybe I should have had her on a soccer field when she was five and I didn't do that. So we, it's lots of deep breathing and kind of like, okay, this is all going to work. But it's all kind of, there's these things where we're, not, we're supposed to be building stories about who we are. That's, that's I think, that, I'm sorry, I'm thinking on my feet in front of you this morning. That whole application process really is sort of 
how do I make myself look like somebody who is extraordinary? You know, you don't write a college application going, yeah, I'm just your basic good kid. You know, people like me. I like school, it's great. You know, you, you, have, to, you have to like rehearse all the ways that you're extraordinary. <laughs> um, and the truth is what, you know, what makes us a good person to be around is not usually any of those people. Somewhere this past couple of weeks, I wrote something down. And it might have been Brene Brown who said it. I, I wandered into a YouTube clip that I couldn't find again afterwards. Um, or it might not have, but I liked this. Everyone I know who waited tables is a better human being. And I love that, because I've had a number, you know, in, my, in my youth, a number of different food service jobs. And they're kind of hard. <laughs> They're always hard. Um, you're always, you never know whether you're gonna have a really great experience interacting with somebody or a really bad one because they treat you as a servant who's stupid or whatever, or because they're just mindless and worried and busy and in a rush. Um, but it's hard work and it isn't well paid, isn't really very well appreciated, and it's kind of stressful. Actually being the waiter of a table is I, don't, I haven't looked at any studies recently, but you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was one of the most stressful jobs. You could be like an astronaut or a, a waiter. You know, <laughs> they were, those are the stressful jobs on the planet. Um, I made up astronaut just now. I'm not sure that was it. Um, but everyone I know who waits tables is a better human being for it. And I thought, yeah, because you know what? It's not considered extraordinary to be a waiter. It, occasionally, there are some restaurants where, I've been in restaurants where I'm sure the waiters thought they were better than I was. <laughs> um, and maybe they were. Um, but um, we just, we don't think of that as extraordinary. But a good waiter needs to be present in the moment that moment where you realize, oh, I forgot to order the iced tea with my meal. Oh, wait, 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 come back. They have to be responsive. They have to be accountable. You know, if your meal doesn't actually show up, <laughs> um, that's their job to figure that out and make it right. Um, they, they, they do better in that role if they actually like people and lots of different kinds of people. If, if they have some sort of sense of solidity and you know centeredness in themselves they tend to be you know they get through their day their shift better um, they need to be able to cooperate with the other people in the restaurant you can't be a good waiter if, if the chef has decided they, they don't like you <laughs> they'll, they'll do your stuff late or mess it up or whatever there's lots of ways to mess with people um, and waiters work the, the nexus of a lot of those. So that very ordinary, it's also, it's ordinary in the sense that a lot of us do that kind of work at some point in our lives. Um, it's a good experience. It is an experience of being human, of working with other people, working for other people, um, serving needs, you know, people come into a restaurant because they're hungry. So, you, so you're, you're connecting with people at really basic levels. Um, people on, on, in restaurant staff groups often become very close to each other. 
because you're working hard under pressure to do this thing that's never done because there's always going to be the next meal or the next day. So the idea that does, that can, doesn't always, but it can make people better human beings. You learn a lot about yourself, about other people, and doing that kind of work. And that's utterly ordinary. Parenting, same thing, parenting, oh my goodness, there's all sorts of chances to learn all kinds of things doing <laughs> parenting. And a lot of it's really ordinary. And it's learning about other really ordinary people doing ordinary things in lots of different kinds of ways. If, you just, if you're part of even a small group of parents and children, you, you sort of get your eyes opened and your perspectives stretched out a good bit, at least in my experience. I suppose it's possible not to do that, to go through any of the, you could go through any experience in life and just be bound and determined not to be affected by it. You might have your big dream and this is just on the way to that big dream and that's fine. But I think you're missing something. You're not the person for whom waiting makes you a better human being then. You're just the person who used that to step to something else. So the point of everything I'm saying here is that perhaps the Buddhists and the mindfulness people are on to something. And it's something I think maybe we need right now. We're in this very peculiar time where we've had the last two years that we've had and we're emerging again. <laughs> and we could have to step back and we know that. And we're still looking forward to emerging into a world where we can once again be in connection with each other with fewer barriers between us. We've not, we've not ever stopped being in connection. I remember when I first joined you all on Zoom at the, near the beginning of the pandemic and we were all still here. You know, you were there and I was on the other end of my computer connection like you were all on your, and it was still, it was still the fellowship of Unitarian Universalists in Murfreesboro, right? So we never stopped being connected. But now we can sit in the room together. And today, glory be, we're singing. Yay. The hymnals were out when I came in. I was like, oh, the hymnals are out. This is good. And we have a moment where we can think about, as we're reemerging, going back to some of what we've had before, how much of what we had before we really want to reclaim, or what parts of it we might want to reclaim in different ways. Perhaps we don't need to attach our value to chasing dreams. Nothing wrong with dreams, nothing wrong with reaching, holding possibility, holding space for new things to happen. That's all wonderful. But attaching our worth, our sense of happiness, and our feeling of belonging to ourselves, to each other, to the universe, to some progression toward that dream, maybe that's a problem. And maybe we need to learn to be with ourselves, be with each other, be with the universe. Because you know what? The ordinary is really, really amazing. If you, some of the things I read from people who like are astrophysicists, the scale of the cosmos and where we fit into it that, that's, that is an amazing, amazing story. You know, if you listen to some of the things Carl Sagan has said, or Walt Whitman, 
this is good. It's been for centuries. Human beings trying to think about their place in the universe. It becomes very clear that what is is astonishing. You think, I think about how all, all the things we're learning about trees and how you can't single trees are not really real things. Just like single human beings, individ, utterly individual human beings are not really real things. We need each other to be ourselves. Trees communicate with each other and share ecosystems and affect other individual beings around them in ways we had not understood until fairly recently. And those stories are just amazing. They, I want to call them extraordinary, except they're not extraordinary. They are absolutely ordinary. They are the norm. We just couldn't see it before, or we didn't see it. Um, so let's lean into the ordinary as amazing and wonderful and precious and recognize that the ordinary is always mysterious, even though we kind of we think of it as ho-hum, whatever. Maybe it isn't. Maybe ordinary being is itself amazing and miraculous. Uh, for me, right now, I'm finding things like naps really amazing. <laughs> I'm having trouble. I'm, I'm, I'm overtired, overworked, <coughs> overstressed. Um, and when I can manage to stop my brain and to turn off my electronic devices, or at least put them where I can't see them, for a while and lie down and take a nap in the sun. I have this beautiful window where sunlight comes in in the afternoon. And if I can lie down right there and take a nap, that feels like a miracle some days. And it's so what I need, and I'm aware of that. I need good food. You know, good food should be normal and ordinary, and it's amazing. And we are so fortunate to have access to it when we do. Good company, the same thing. People are everywhere. To, but to connect deeply and feel that connection, that is so ordinary and it is so needed for human beings to really be good human beings, to be able to stop our work and be with each other. And to work with intention, you know, to think about what we're doing to be present with our work as we do our work. Again, not just checking off the list or getting to the next dream or the next hill, the next project, but to, to work paying attention to what we're doing, why we're doing it, who we're doing it with. Um, at the end of the day, I think a lot of this is about setting priorities. And for, for now, anyway, where I'm, I'm coming down on the side of connections being more important than uh, product, the end goals, the connections that, that I have with people as I'm working, and the connections that my work enables people to have with each other. So I'm, I'm choosing connections. If, you, if I'm in the middle of something, assuming I don't have a super tight, super non-negotiable deadline, and you show up in front of me, I'm going to put down what I do and talk to you. Because, especially after two years of pandemic, it feels really precious to have a face-to-face -face conversation with a human being. And so that very ordinary thing has become very important to me these days.
so. Being ordinary and claiming that is, I think, it's not really about whether you're trying or not trying to be better or to do something or to follow a dream. And it's, it's not really about constructing theory or a procedure. A lot of us are, you know, if we're engineering minded, we, we like to have plans and procedures. Again, not, not a bad thing. And then there's another set of us, and these overlap a lot, people who like to understand everything and map out all the explanations and do the research and put together the model of how it works. And that's fine. That's good. But being ordinary isn't about thinking about it right or making good plans about it. It's not about trying or not trying to get somewhere else. It's about noticing and paying attention to what is. It's about wondering if Pima Chodron's onto something when she suggests that we maybe should feel like the present I should figure out a way to do that without saying should. I, like, I use the word should way too much. But maybe we could find a way to be that acknowledges that the present moment is enough, that the present me is enough, that you are just perfectly who you should be right now. Even if you were something very different yesterday and you'll be different tomorrow, right now is enough. So I want to leave you with some words. Some of you will no doubt know these. From uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, another Buddhist teacher. Our true home is in the present moment. To live in the present moment is a miracle. The miracle is not to walk on water. The miracle is to walk on the green earth in the present moment to appreciate the peace and beauty that are available now. Peace is all around us, in the world and in nature, and within us, in our bodies and our spirits. Once we learn to touch this peace, we will be healed and transformed. It is not a matter of faith, it is a matter of practice. And I do hope that if we practice enough, we will find that being ordinary is the quick and easy path to being happy. May we all be happy. May all beings be happy.